friends! Welcome to episode 162 of Storyteller Conclave. This is a show all about helping you run the best tabletop role-playing game that you can. Whether you're a new storyteller or dungeon master learning the craft, or an experienced storyteller looking to take your game to the next level. I'm Sarah. I'm Rob. How are we doing, Rob? I don't know, not too bad. I think the weather, the rain, and, and such has started getting to me, and like, I'm getting that chest stuff, and snotty, yeah. and achy, and I'm old. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm gonna say I'm old. I'm old. Uh, I'm also old. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. It's definitely notable. Oh, so. yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But otherwise, good. Uh, you know, I, I think that, uh, uh, we haven't had anything terribly exciting in the last two weeks that oh, I will say. Knocks in the box is already starting in the live chat. <laughs> this is how you do. <laughs> oh, God. Well, we do have a lot to go over. It is a system spotlight. Yeah. Uh, we have, uh, some history, we have some story and setting, we have uh, some fun mechanics. I, yeah, I'm excited about this one. So, and like, I, 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 I'm excited to jump into it because, like, again, we always learn something new with a new system. Yeah. And, and we talk about how much we like it. Um, I think I am going to, my opening comment on this, if you need a TLDR, is this system does an incredible job or sorry my my comment will be this book does an incredible job at teaching you how to be a good dm yeah you were like i'm very excited you were like yeah i I like the game system the game system's absolutely up my alley but have you read the game mastering section (laughs) it is it is by far one of the best ones i will get to the the details behind it but uh that's my tldr on this one get the book for that section now we we generally divvy up the book a little bit and kind of tackle it in parts so i did not get to read the game master section because i was pouring over the rules section instead uh and i would say my opening statement on dune adventures adventures in the imperium uh is that uh if you are looking for a game that does uh like intrigue and political backstabbing and manipulation and stuff like that. Um, and you picked up something like Vampire the Masquerade, <laughs> expecting that it would be that because that's what it bills itself as. Yeah. But then discovered that it's really just, um, uh, uh, you know, goth boy fighty, you know, power hour. Attrition. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, if you're looking for a game that does, that does politics like that um this is your game and honestly i would say super impressed with like whole cloth extract from this system's mechanics do it like steal steal it steal it it is really well done in that sense uh you i mean you're you will swear by 7c and you even said this does politics better than 7c does i i think it does i honestly think it does and that's saying a lot considering i liked some of the political systems that were included in uh first edition montaigne Mm -hmm. i think they did a great job Mm -hmm. uh, in that and i i even think that in second edition some of the way they handle some of the political machinations is better but I still think whole cloth this handles intrigue and movement at a much cleaner pace because it does away with the unnecessary things yeah. and brings it back to a mechanic that both role players who who are theatrical and role players who don't have those points in theater can both be part of it. Absolutely. So. All right. So now that we've given our final thoughts. Yeah, our TLDRs that you now no longer have to listen to the rest of our podcast. <laughs> go, by, go by the book. Uh we we can get into this a little bit. So um, I'm going to open with history like I normally do. Yeah, go um, right ahead. So we're talking about Dune. Now, Dune started in 1965 with Frank Herbert's release of two serials in Analog Magazine. Um, and I think the first one was called This Immortal. Um, 
from that point, uh, it actually was produced by a publisher who was known for making uh, auto repair manuals because no one else would take it. And when it did hit the streets, it was released for $5.95, which does not sound like a lot, but it's 1965. So that's like 50 bucks today. God, inflation. Yeah. So, so imagine walking into your favorite bookstore and finding a new, odd looking sci-fi novel that was $50. Yeah. Like, it, 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 the critics did not like it. It was poorly received. And basically the company wrote it off, like, mm-hmm. as a loss. In 2003, it was voted the world's best-selling science fiction novel. <laughs> what a comeback tale, huh? So there's been five sequels. There was a movie that was supposed to happen in 1970 that didn't. Uh, and that was only after three years and a lot of budget that got scrapped. Uh, you can still find some of the images from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm, I'm trying to remember who the artist was, the crazy artist who was involved at that time. Uh who uh was related to it i know somebody or if overwatch is in chat he'll he'll remind me uh, uh dolly salvador dolly oh okay was yeah, actually yeah. involved in the artwork oh, for the original and it's it's very very dolly uh-huh. um then david lynch picked it up in uh 1984 uh and we have the iconic one but again the critics hated it they absolutely hated it. Sting in his armored underwear. Oh God! Everything about it they didn't oh, like. Oh yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. And it, yeah. it was it was horribly failed. And then it just became a cult this classic. Cult classic. Yeah. That in 2000, uh, Sci-Fi Channel picked it back up, made a mini series, and then in 2003 did sequels. Uh, and then we have our 2021 uh, Villa. Oh God, Villanueva. Thank you. Uh, who made uh, the new Dune? As far as everyone knows, the remake of the first, and it's the first act. Mm, with Timothy part one. Chalamet. Yes. Mm. Uh, and it won six Academy Awards. So it, it rebirthed a lot of that, and this RPG is because of that. Like it was designed to come out right after the movie. There was only two other tabletops that were before that, one in 2000 and one in 2004. Um, and the one in 2000 only sold 3,000 copies before it got pulled. Yeah. And the one in 2004 is actually a fan-made one. So there hasn't, which, which is really surprising for such an old sci-fi, such a prolific cult classic with 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 a history as long as I mean, and I know people who are, I'm going to say, <laughs> I'm going to say that Star Wars folks will say this, but it kind of has the feeling and the history sense that Star Wars does. It's yeah. twenty thousand years of humanity mm-hmm. is encompassed in this, um, and it's surprising that it didn't do more. Um, so before I get into my world building teardown, I will say this. The book's 339 pages. Um, and it's really got 327 of content. There's an index and some extra stuff at the end, but 85 pages of that book are for the setting. Yeah. Another 56 are devoted to character creation. There are 76 pages for rules and mechanics mm-hmm. and 22 pages, 22 pages devoted to DMing. That's incredible. Yeah. Out of a out of a book of that size, the DMing section is larger than the actual adventure, which is only twelve pages. <laughs> because it there's so much good detail that they throw into how to be a good DM and what it takes to run a story and how to feel. And they explain it in such good bite sized chunks, all of the pieces that we talk about, that I was astounded. It it really moved me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in, uh, whereas I did not get to get to the DMing section, um, interspersed in throughout the game, uh, uh, is, 
very much like uh, a lot of other source books do this for examples of gameplay where they'll you know in character creation they'll create a fake character as an example and then when you're learning the rules they'll give little snippets of here's how this rule applies in a sample of gameplay using that fake character Mm -hmm. um and i found every little snippet of that very compelling very well laid out um so uh i I, it was a lot to take in because it's a game system that's um a little bit unlike a lot of the other game systems that i've learned yeah, um, it is mechanically at least. It is different. The things that it tries to put focus on are very out of my wheelhouse. Yes. Uh, and I found the the examples of gameplay and such like that to be very well uh, uh, put forward and and just very immersive and and uh, yeah clarifying. I I and I think the the fact that they carry through they they followed the same. Um, mechanics or I, I will say the the formatting that a lot of uh, really good studios did uh, in production and that was is that they followed a character or mm-hmm. they followed a set of characters and built upon the scenes or built upon the moments so that you were never really having to jump from one class to another or yeah. group to another so your gameplay felt consistent mm-hmm. um and it I, I liked that I liked that a lot yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I, I mentioned that this game is a little bit out of my wheelhouse, um, and that is because this is a very, um, complex and very political game. Yes. Uh, so, uh, in, they, like you said, there's, there's what, uh, 85 pages just explaining the setting, um, all in here, uh, that kind of pulls a lot of the aspects of Frank Herbert's world, um, and world building into mm-hmm. this game and, mm-hmm. and, and offers a setting. And I think the, the, the rules do a really good job of meeting it halfway and expressing that setting, that political landscape in how the game is played. Do you want to talk a little bit about the setting and the feel? Yeah, let me, let me kind of set the space because I know, or set the space, set the pace, uh, for kind of Dune. Dune is big. Dune like, is talk, very big, yeah. Dune is very big. Um, I will start with this and this is something that I learned after the fact. Um, I was digging a little bit, uh, and, read this and that was is that Frank Herbert was experimenting with mushrooms. <laughs> that makes and, sense. And was involved in the mushroom community. And there's a lot of aspects of Dune that reflect that. Mm-hmm. Bene Gesserits are the, uh, were a group of, uh, a representative of a group of, uh, women in, I believe, Mexico who used shrooms to enhance some of their spiritual, spirituality. Mm-hmm. Um, other aspects, the way Melange changes things. Mushrooms change things. Mm-hmm. The way that the the spacing agency has this whole trippy, otherworldly way of seeing things. Well, there's there's just a whole theme between the Bene Gesserits, the Navigators, and the Mentats, especially, where the whole concept of them is expanding themselves, their consciousness, beyond the, the, the typical human limits. Correct. And correct. becoming something greater than, other than what a normal human would be. Exactly. And and that is reflected definitely in it. The other thing, and where the whole feeling of Dune came from, which is another thing, was is that Frank wrote a short story while he was in Washington near the coast. And he watched as uh, literally Dunes were taking over whole cities. And uh, they were planting Dune grass to help curb it, to stop the, the Dunes from moving forward. And he kind of used that as a metaphor mm-hmm. uh, in in a lot of the stories about struggling against a moving force mm-hmm. that was all encompassing, and that that theme kind of reverberates through the story. So, 
when you think of Dune, you you think of tension and uh, related to power and freedom. You know, even from the higher class people, there's a sense that you're locked into a system. Yeah. And that there's a predestined future that everyone can see because everyone can see predestiny in some way, Mm -hmm. you know. At the same time, you also have the ecology and consequences of exploiting resources and incitement of capitalism and, like, the cruelty of feudalism, which the world rep- – the universe represents. Yeah. Um, but at the core of all that, uh, like you had spoken, it's intrigue. It's – there's a, a a great quote, and that is, intrigue runs deep and take on uh, takes on these indirect and labyrinth routes because humankind has evolved powers capable of piercing the illusion of lesser ploys. Mm. It's a it, it basically what it comes down to is simple machinations of I'm going to assassinate this person to remove them from the equation is trite. It's useless. What a true <laughs> pedestrian, right? The truth of the matter is, I'm assassinating this person to find out who cares, and by showing that you care about those activities, you've exposed something to me mm. much greater than this pawn that I gave up. Yeah. And you had mentioned it's a lot like chess. Yeah. And realistically, if you want to know what Dune is, Dune is a fine game of chess. Yeah. Um. There's faith and religion involved in it, but it is a background piece. It is not a centerpiece. Mm-hmm. In the movie, they kind of enforce it. In the original movie, they force it very strongly that this the concept of jihad and and things like that. Now, keep in mind those terms that are thrown through the book are are not used in their core elements. Yeah, we're we're um, talking thousands of years. Right. Thousands of thousands of years have passed since, right. since their um, current connotation correct so and in truth they explain this by saying that at a certain point when humanity be left earth and started going to the stars they no longer could fall under one or under multiple religious precepts because it didn't really work so the greatest theologians and philosophers came together and created a new bible basically called the uh the set which was or, under orange catholicism and that was effectively a way to kind of Bring everybody under one divine spirit. Yeah. It was named Orange Catholicism, but it's really like a lot of the the sort of uh, – I'm trying to find the right term because I think Abrahamic is not a great term. No. Uh, if I remember correctly. But like Judaism, yeah. Catholic, uh, uh, Christianity, um, Islam, and like a mix of Buddhism. Shintoism, and Shintoism Taoism. Yep. Yeah. All like of it. A lot of different stuff in there. But like the name of it is Orange Catholicism. Like uh, the, the term Zen Sunni is in it. Yeah. Zen Buddhists and Sunnists, which are very different things. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But there's a meld there of Islam and Buddhism spirituality. Um, and those terms came from that. The idea of a jihad is that it's a holy war. Yeah. But that, that is the, as far as the term goes. That's it. Mm-hmm. It is, it is not about doing something for a god, but for the faith. Yeah. Um, for your faith within that. Um, so it's, it sits there as a precept of background that everyone in the universe recognizes there, but not a lot of people follow it. And those who do are fervent. Mm-hmm. Fervent in their belief and faith, but not the religion. And that's that's the key thing is it's still it's still about the person, um, but that's the whole thing is everyone's superhuman. Like yep. everyone who takes in Melange um, is different. Mentats, Bene Gesserits, uh, and I'll say this wrong. Talaxian? I, I, I can't. Talaxu? No uh, idea. Um, 
basically the the biogeneticists uh, even the guild navigators who are no longer truly human anymore they're so different um but then you have like training of these individuals at a different level the the souk which are the incorruptible those are the mm-hmm. ones with the diamond mark on their head if you've seen or you're familiar with the story the sword masters of uh gen uh, Gen Genaz. Genaz? Anyways, um, who are masterful at what they're doing. And, and even the Imperial Siddhikar, who, uh, uh, who are basically the finest military period end of story. Yeah. Like, without a doubt. Yep. Um, and you're one of these entities in this world, this, this very vast universe. This of world people. where it is relatively commonplace and accepted to just utterly defy the boundaries of what we identify as human limitations. But you're still human. Like what I the, the the thing the thing that I think really spelled out like what the power level of Dune was for me was mm-hmm. reading about how the Mother Superior of the Bene Gesserit becomes the Mother Superior. Oh, oh, a Reverend Mother. How a Reverend the, Mother? The Reverend, yeah, yeah. You, where you have to take a lethal poison mm-hmm. and then just have mastery of your body and will it to become something inert. Correct. And and, and therefore survive the uh, the thing. Right. You literally have to like psychically have that much physical control of your own body and yes. its own components and stuff like that, that you can just change something in your bloodstream well even the even the basic level of Bene Gesserit uh, when you come in you basically are trained to be a superhuman that to be able to control and contort and move your body in ways that no other individual they they are faster than the eye Mm -hmm. they can do things with their voice they can change how they physically move around you mm-hmm. uh you know push endorphins out that no one else can so they're they're kind of like super biogenetic assassins but there's nothing enhanced other than them doing it themselves and then then you've got the mentats on top of that mm-hmm. where um so uh i i don't know if you're you're gonna i think you're gonna get into this in just a little bit here but uh in this setting there are no what they call thinking machines there's no ai right. because yeah. a, somebody built an ai and it went genocidal we'll just we'll just leave it at that there's it's a lot simple, of but, a lot yeah. of more nuance to that story but it went genocidal so basically humanity decided no more thinking machines nothing even approaching a thinking machine correct cannot cannot mimic a brain in any way so if you're going to continue to be a safe uh, a spacefaring society that needs mass calculations like this how do you go about doing that and mentats was was the answer yeah and mentats are like ben jesuits in a lot of the similar ways where they're just normal humans but they have been trained to essentially be lightning computers they're using a hundred percent of their brain yeah which is incredible because they can basically remember everything Mm -hmm. and recall it instantaneously as well as do mathematics at a level that that our computers today would have a hard time yeah. handling you don't need thinking machines if you've got mentats around because mentats will get, can crunch those numbers for you easily yes um so a, ch- a challenge is like how do you handle that in a in a game like you've got all this power and i i, I want to come down to this this quote that they pulled out of that is a major aspect of dune as a setting is that it's about people and their yes. place in the universe and how their struggles are off are more often determined by how they confront internal conflicts than by which the planet they happen to be standing on. Agreed. And I, if you can understand that, that it is about the individual struggle, yeah. that the humanity that is within these super creatures, it is, it is very similar to masks in that sense or any other game where you have 
unbridled power that is not the core mechanic of the game. Mm -hmm. It's how you handle the situation that is. See, for me, like, just like I said, the, the existence of things like Mentats and Bene Gesserits was, yeah. was, was the flagpole that led me to that conclusion. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, that it was about the people. Because, I mean, you look at the world building and a lot of other science fiction, it's like, oh, we invented this machine and it ushered us into the next age of, you know, technology or whatever, you know. Right. Uh, it was like, you know, uh, look at Mass Effect. Mm -hmm. you know, well, well, we, we discovered this cache of technology and we discovered the, the mass gates. You know, to, that led us out into the stars and introduced us to these other races that were out there. Um, and that's what brought us into the thing. Well, it's people that do these things mm -hmm. now. The Ben Gesserits, the Mentats, the Navigators, they're all people. Mm -hmm. Those are the critical components, not mm -hmm. the technology. Yeah. The technology is almost ancillary. Yeah. To, to any of this. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, your, your story is very people focused. It has to be. Because it, it, everything else is just there. Yeah. I mean, technology is there in this game specifically to simplify things, not to make the world changing differences. Yeah. That's the key. Whereas, like, a tactical game, it's all about the componentry and how you use it, right? How you utilize those, mm -hmm. those technological resources that are gifted to you by the game. In this, that isn't the case at all. Your, your, your gifting is very light. Mm hmm. It's mostly just a, quality of life situation with technology anything that goes beyond that stage you know is is about shaping how the things can happen for instance one of the keys in this uh, in the universe is that uh body shields that were generated mm -hmm. uh the holtzman generators uh whether they're personal or or gigantic and cover a whole city um if a las weapon hits it it creates a pinpoint nuclear explosion at an atomic level that annihilates anything with within a decent range mm -hmm. because of that literally the setting said that can never happen if you do that you are gone you do not exist in the universe anymore neither do your kids your family their friends your whole any, house your whole house, holdings anything related is going to be divvied up and given to someone else and you no longer exist because if you're allowed to do that someone else will do it and humanity is too fragile. Everyone agrees that. The good, the bad, the ugly, the traitorous, everyone agrees. And even if you're not looking out for your fellow man, even if you're the most hardened house uh, Harkonnen um, right. you know, jerkwad who only looks out for yourself, if that law doesn't apply to them, then it doesn't apply to you. Correct. And someone can use it to nuke you. Correct. No no one in the Landstrad at the highest levels is safe from anything. And yeah. the whole point is, if I have my shield up, we under we have an understanding that the only thing that's going to happen is sword to sword. Mm -hmm. That is how the game is played. Yep. Um, the only kind of people who get around that are are two worlds, the Ix and uh, Talax, and I, I don't want to get too much into them because I feel like those two worlds basically are the are are put there to be question marks in the universe. Yeah, that's with fair. With technology, that's fair. Um, I didn't even know about them until you brought them up. Honestly, yeah, like, I, I I think they're they're meant to be questions to mm -hmm. be to 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 create boogeymen as well no that's fair like if you if you need something terrifying in the dune universe make it technology mm -hmm. make it something that is outside of the scope of things and hard to track yeah and yeah. that's what these are these are the boogeymen of this universe mm -hmm. i don't think they're absolutely necessary but they're there they're definitely part of it so with all that wrapped in a shell you have a 
a, a complex world that weaves politics and intrigue and a fight and a struggle for freedom within a, within an inescapable sense of power and responsibility. Mm-hmm. And individuals of faith and determination trying to make their way, make their place in a universe that is set in feudalism. Yep. That's complex as hell to try and figure out. Like, I, it doesn't scream tactical. It, so mechanics yeah. become then a question of where do you start? How do you how do you make? And, and this is where I come back to you. How do you make a system tell me how it should be played <laughs> in that universe? Yeah, that's a that's a where. What's the start point, Sarah? Well, uh, I mean, your starting point is uh, with house creation. Um, it is the most key component in the universe is it, that their really houses is. are the point of power. Your your largest operating units, um, your most basic operating units of power in this are the, are the great houses mm-hmm. and the lesser houses and mm-hmm. the, whatever their structure is. Now, the if you're familiar with the movie, um, you saw House Atreides and House Harkonnen. And you saw their power struggle and you saw what happened when those two butt heads. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the whole story of Arrakis. If you look like at if you saw the most recent movie with Timothy Chalamet and made mm-hmm. googly eyes at him like I did. <laughs> um, now, uh, in this, your very first thing is making your own house. Um, you don't have to be, uh, part of House Atreides or Harkonnen or anything like that. They encourage you to basically make your own story here. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's great. Um, there's not a lot that goes into, uh, into house creation. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the things is, uh, th- that really does matter is how big your house is, how renowned your house is. Right. Because one of the very biggest themes that, that, that goes on in this political dog eat dog universe mm-hmm. is, the bigger you are, the bigger the target painted on you. Well, that does make a lot of sense because the game speaks and uses the word threat heavily. And yes. that's, it's an important mechanical word, but it's also just an important word in statement is that anyone who has any celebrity of note or family of note when they get to a certain size mm-hmm. creates a level of threat. Yeah. It's hard to ignore. Uh, and so the, the bigger your house, um, the greater your holdings, the greater your, the resources you'll be able to bring to bear and such like that. But also, um, essentially the storyteller gets a, a greater amount of resources that in this case threat to use against you simply because your enemies are that much more powerful. You're essentially choosing the power level of the game when you create your house. Oh, okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So instead of it being a, a uh, how should I put this, a, a an advancement through f- through levels of pain, you know, mm-hmm. whereas I start as a level one character, so I'm not even noticed on the existence. I could literally say, no, no, no we're going to start this game off as a, a mid to upper level house. Mm-hmm. Okay. So we're basically starting at challenge rating five. Yeah, of, uh, you've got uh, five or six out of ten. Congratulations. You've also chosen to have mid to upper level enemies. Yep. Enjoy the game. Yeah. Enjoy the game. You, you may get to see the upper crust yeah. or hear about them. Exactly. Now when, like, if you watch the movie, you've got our Atreides and our Harkonnen going head to head and our Atreides not coming out good in that, uh, in that fight. Spoiler alert. Sorry. Well, I mean, very true statement. Very true statement. And considering if you know the history of Atreides and, and, and know those stories, that's that's not great. Well, regardless, though, that's what it looks like when yeah. two, like, max-level great houses go head-to-head. That's what you get. That's the type of story you're going to be telling, you know. But with lesser houses, the great thing is, I mean, you don't 
it, it changes the landscape is what it does. Mm-hmm. You know, so you're going to, like, if you choose to be, like, a lesser house, first off, like, you're going to have very few holdings, very few resources to divvy up um, and whatnot. Um, and, and that matters. You're not going to have a lot of uh, assets, which is a thing. You're That's not going to have game, a lot yeah. of influence and such like that. Um, so you start with a lot less in your hands, but at the same time, and, and even the things that you do do generally are like attributed to the great house you're under. Right. You know, your great house gets to sit there and look at your lesser house and go, ah, oh, yes, a subsidiary of ours produces these great wares and your name never gets mentioned. Right. You know, they get all the credit for it. So understandably, a lot of these like lesser houses are trying to get themselves out from under great houses so that they can grow to be something else but in this universe there's always somebody else who wants the thing that you have yeah or is or is trying to make a name for them over you Mm -hmm. so whereas yeah it kind of sucks that the great house takes all the credit for your lesser house and their achievements um they also take all the flack yeah and get all the enemies so and and they become a shield effectively so a good example of this is House Atreides in the story mm-hmm. uh, of Dune uh, gets to take over the spice farming of uh, Arrakis, which is huge. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely huge. Atreides has a lesser house underneath it that's actually doing the mining and work efforts. Mm-hmm. They're in control of that. And that's where everything kind of comes down to is that they understand that those people are important. And particularly um, Duke Leto sees those people – as needing to be under his protection mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and feels their pain when they're in trouble. Like he is a different kind of leader and because that he is respected at a different level. Yeah. And that's part of that story that this is trying to put, portray is that when you're making your house, you may be sitting underneath a Leto or you might be sitting underneath, you know, a Baron Harkonnen, mm-hmm. you know, and in that sense, you have very different struggles at those levels, very different risks that are and threats that are being thrown at you. If, yeah. if you're under Duke Leto, the risks are high. Because Leto has a lot of targets painted on him. Because, because he's a nice guy. Whereas, like, if, and you're, people see that as if you're a Harkonnen, your threats kind of come from the left and right more so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you make a lot of enemies because everybody hates you, but also nobody wants to mess with you because you're a mean guy. Correct. You know? When Baron Harkonnen hears that one of his people, one of his groups were attacked by a different house outside, a different member of the Landstrad, oh, that's an attack on him. Mm-hmm. He's going to do something about that. Yes, yes. So after you go through um, house creation, essentially, like I said, setting the power level of your game, um, you go through character creation. Uh, character creation is actually uh, very well structured, I think. Um, it's a very simple sort of choose from a menu style of character creation. You don't roll any dice for it or anything right. like that. Um, there are two different ways they offer you uh, planned creation and uh, creation in play. Okay. Uh, so your plan creation is your typical character creation. You're going to go through, and by the end, you're going to have a fully flushed out character with everything done mm-hmm. and ready to go. Mm-hmm. Um, creation in play is uh, essentially you're going to make about half of your character, mm-hmm. and you're going to leave some blanks. Okay. Um, and this is good for two reasons. Uh, it's good for getting the game off the ground very quickly. Um, if you don't have a lot of time that you want to dedicate to the character creation, maybe you, you know, it's tough to meet and you want to do character creation for an hour and then just go mm-hmm. for the next three hours and play or whatever. Um, it's good to get you off the ground because you don't need to make a lot of those decisions on the, on, on the fly. I like that. Um, but also, uh, and this is kind of like one of the things we are going to be addressing with our next session of my game mm-hmm. 
is that for players, and especially storytellers, who are new to the system, you may not be able to make informed choices about your character. Right. And so leaving those things blank until a later point in which you go, oh, you know what would be advantageous here now that I understand how the game is played? If this attribute were this. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. It is. It is now. Now that you've stated it, it's it's set in stone and we fill in that blank. But you did that with full knowledge of what you were choosing and your game is, you know. Is better for uh, it. Is better for it, yes. Yeah, it's it's an... It's a sure that that works in the story. Let's keep going. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's a yes and um, I, I, as I like long as it's within within the the bounds of the rules that you can make that call. Sure. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I like that 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 feels very flowy. I I could see that being very beneficial for mm -hmm. like an opening, almost like uh, session zero, not session zero, but first milk run adventure. Yeah, that's perfect. Absolutely. You Use know? that milk run to kind of fill in a few of those blanks, and mm -hmm. and and then you you know hit the real meat of your adventure after mm -hmm. you've got some experience yeah no i like it um now after that we fall into like templates and archetypes and this is kind of like so where a lot of this is like select things off of a menu and your character creation is done yep. um so templates are for like your non-house factions the base assumption is that you will be a high but not highest ranking member of whatever house you've created mm -hmm. you'll be influential within it but you're not the house lord right you know um However, there are, like like we mentioned earlier, several factions that are kind of ubiquitous throughout the Dune universe, and that's the Bene Gesserit, the, um, uh, there's the, the Fremen. The Fremen aren't really ubiquitous necessarily, but they're not attached to a house. Right. Um, Mentats, et cetera. There's a, there's a few, there's a few more, I believe. The um, sword, uh, swordsmen, uh, are, are another one, um. Uh, the medical, the the basically the oh, yeah, the, 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 the doctors, souk doctors, the yeah. souk doctors who who cannot be broken. Um, so so the number of different things. There's actually an anti mentat as well. Oh, like okay. a chaos mentat. But I don't think it's one of the templates, though. No, it's um, not. It's not. But it's it talks about so these people are basically not house members per se, but mm -hmm. they work for the house. Right, right, right. So there are templates for those. On um, the templates, basically being like, yeah, if you want to play one of these. Choose, make these choices, mm -hmm. put these things on your character sheet, and then fill in the rest of the blanks. Yep. And you will effectively be a Bene Gesserit. You will effectively be a, a Mentat, you yep. know. Um, if you don't choose one of those things and you just want to be a normal member of your house, um, there are 20 archetypes. Mm -hmm. And they're set in – they're very well organized. There's five sets of four archetypes. Okay. Um, and so there's war masters mm -hmm. and they're like, here's different ways of essentially making someone who one way or another is comfortable with the act of taking a life. Okay. You can do that in any number of ways, but that's what all of these four archetypes are. Okay. There are socialites. No, there's multiple ways of going about it, but these people know their way around a social situation. Disciples, adepts. And academics. Gotcha. Okay. And so each one of these suggests a single trait and a talent to you. Um, traits are kind of like tags um, or aspects, if you're familiar with fate. Um, we'll get into traits in a little bit. Talents are very much like edges or feats uh, in other game systems. Mm -hmm. They're going to be a special ability that you get that allows you to kind of twist a rule in your, in your you know, a trick you can do, right? Um, it will dictate what your primary and your secondary skills are, and it will suggest what um, foci and drives you get. Foci f focuses for your skills, 
and drives being your particular motivations. But again, a lot of these things are just suggestions. Mm-hmm. You can go off book with these things. Oh yeah, of course. Um, and it's it suggests basically like yeah, you know if if you want to do something different, that's cool. But mm-hmm. like basically, if you're trying to build this type of character, put put your points here, probably. Um. So then you start getting into your nitty gritty. Uh, after you get your archetype, your archetype is going to make certain suggestions for where your where your points should go. Um, and your character sheets are very slim. Uh, there are five skills in the game, uh, which I absolutely love. Um, because those skills are battle, communicate, discipline, move, and understand. If you're doing something combat related or like typically like your strength and dexterity style stuff you're going to use battle communicate is a little more like um like a charisma ish skill uh but it's going to be like your 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 bluff your diplomacy your interrogation you know if you're trying to deal with another person it's going to be a communicate check discipline is kind of like your um wisdom and constitution all rolled into one Okay. It's both a mental and physical, can I withstand something? That makes sense. Um, move is basically your athletics, your dexterity, your acrobatics, um, anything that has to do with moving your body in a specific way or moving from one place to another is going mm-hmm. to be a move thing. Mm-hmm. And understand is your perception, your in, uh, interrogation, your research. Anytime you're trying to glean information right. is going to be an understand. Okay. Pretty straightforward. And that's it. Hmm. Um your skills are all rated between four and eight. Okay. Uh, okay. Your primary one is going to start at a six. Your secondary one is going to start at a five, and those are going to be dictated by your by your archetype. Okay. Right? All your other ones starts at four. Oh, okay. Okay. And then you get to add five points. Okay, that's that that's pretty typical of like most systems where you're 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 pushing it up or down. Yep. Um, and then you have focuses. Now, focuses was where I really just, like, looked at the system and went, oh, my God, I love this. Um, oh, I'm sorry, not not focuses. I'm, I was thinking of drives. We'll get to that in a moment. Oh, okay. Uh, focuses are um, essentially uh, areas of expertise. Okay. So you may have a high battle skill. Okay. But you may want to take a focus in sword fighting. Ah. Okay, so. Like an, this true expertise. Yes, exactly. So, um a focus basically uh is anytime your focus comes into play on a skill check so anytime mm-hmm. in this example you are sword fighting um you will crit on the d20 that you're rolling instead of only on a 1 on anything at or under your skill oh so if you have a battle skill of 7 mm-hmm. okay ordinarily any of your d20s you roll will crit on a 1 mm-hmm. that means they will count for two successes each okay okay if you roll, if you have that uh, a focus that applies, like in your sword fighting here, if you are in a sword fight, you will crit on a seven down. Oof. Yeah. That is that is powerful. That's really powerful, and it makes you feel amazing at doing the thing that you're meant to do. That is pretty cool. Uh, because you have a gigantic thr- a crit threshold for it, and you can you'll you'll get tons of successes off of it. Um, you uh, choose four of these. Mm-hmm. And you get to, uh, you, you must assign one of them to your primary skills. Okay. Okay. Uh, so essentially the thing you, your archetype said you were good at. Okay. Has to be one of your focuses. Okay. And focuses can really be anything. They have an expansive list of suggestions, mm-hmm. but really they can be anything. Okay. 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 Um, 
There are talents. Like I said, kind of like edges or feats. Special okay. trick. You get three of them. One of them is suggested by your archetype. It's not mandatory, but it should fit with your archetype. And then, so like, but for the special people, so like a Bene Gesserit who's basically an, a physical assassin, psychic person, mm-hmm. effectively, uh, very good at reading, they have their own ones, right? Right. That are directed yes. just for them. Yeah, like a Bene Gesserit, like, it's like, you must take the Bene Gesserit training talent. To have this. And then pick two others. Okay. Yep. Okay. okay. Uh, everybody else just gets one suggested by the archetype, and then they get to pick two others. Okay. Okay. Um, all right. Then you've got the cool thing that, that I said made me, made me fall in love with the system, and that is drives. Okay. Okay. Drives are very much like skills. There's five of them. Okay. Okay. But they are duty, faith, justice, power, and truth. They are the motivations for why your character does the thing they're doing. Okay. Okay. Some people have a very strong sense of duty. Like, mm-hmm. I, like, I don't care about personal power. I'm not a person of faith. The, ob- the you know, the, the, the concept of justice doesn't mean a lot to me. And honestly, everybody lies. Truth is pretty meaningless. But man, the one thing I find strength in is duty to my house. Okay. Okay. Some, my leader tells me to do something. I am going to do it and I'm going to die trying. Right, or if I'm doing something for for my house, that is, but that is again driving through my duty. Yeah, and 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 to keep up with the house. Or likewise, somebody has a high power um, drive would be like, look, I don't really care much. Like the machinations of my house, they're gonna do whatever. But like, I'm gonna get mine. Mm-hmm. You know, I want I want my own personal power. That's a power drive. Okay. Right? Okay. All right. So. Um, they're a lot, actually, they reminded me a lot of the rings from Legend of Five Rings. Okay, okay. Uh, in that it is what your approach is that is what, Im- what is important. Okay, so like when I'm going to do something, when I'm going to do a skill check or, or, or effectively, or like the, you know, I'm... that, that aforementioned sword fight. Okay, good, good example. Why are you fighting? Oh. Uh, because this person wronged somebody and I have a sense of justice. And you have a sense of justice. You want to set that right. This guy's a jerk and deserves to get his butt kicked. Right. That, so, when we're making those checks in that sword fight, mm-hmm. it is going to be your, uh, your battle mm-hmm. plus your justice. Oh. Becomes your target number on any D20s you roll. That are lower. That or lower. Interesting. This is one of those weird systems where you're trying to roll under, not over a target number. Okay. 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 So your sense of justice determines how driven, essentially, mm-hmm. you are going to be to accomplish this goal. Okay. Now, inherently, you're just a good sword fighter. Obviously, we've established in this example you have a sword fighting focus. You have a high battle skill. But, like, if your sense of justice, you're like, oh, this guy deserves to get his butt kicked. But, like... Really, my heart's not in it. I don't really care if if this guy gets his butt kicked or not, but sure. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kind of a jerk and I kind of want to wipe the smile off his face. So, okay, maybe you only have like a four in justice. So that four is going to get added to your eight battle for a total number of 12. You roll any D20s that you're entitled to. Typically two, but that can change. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we'll see how many successes you get out of there. And because you've got a sword fighting focus, anything that is eight or under is a critical success and counts as two. Okay. Anything that is not eight or under, but is under the 12... 12 is still a success. Is still a success, and that counts for one. 
Okay. And then we have complications which come out after that, and we'll get right. to that in a minute. Right, right, right. Okay, so drives are cool. I, I like the concept. Now, do you only have one drive? So you have all five drives. Oh, everyone has all five drives. You have everyone has all five drives, okay. and you assign them in descending order eight, seven, six, five, four. Oh, okay, okay, okay. Um, now, on top of that, any drive that is that is a six or higher. Okay, so you're gonna have three of those. Sure, you have. Uh, you have opinions about because okay. they're a strong enough drive, right? Okay. 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 So let's take your justice for example here. Okay. Okay. All say right. you say you really do have a good sense of justice. Sure. All right. Um, if you're if you have a very strong sense of justice, you've given it a lot of thought. It has a special place in your heart. It's one of the first things you think about when interacting with other people. Right. How do you conceptualize justice? Okay. What oh. is your opinion of it? Why is justice so important to you? So what you have is a drive statement for any of these that are six or higher. Okay. Okay. And it is a statement of belief. And uh, these come into play then um, where basically if you are using that drive – you have to act in a way that is consistent with your drive statement. Uh, they're a little bit like uh, beliefs okay. in Mouse Guard. Okay, okay. Where they act as guideposts for the role play and execution of your character at the table. Okay, okay, okay. That that makes a lot of sense because, again, we were talking about how role play is mechanically yeah. included in this game just like uh, Mouse Guard. It really does fit somewhere between Savage World and Mouse Guard, mm -hmm. like in, in that sense that it's it is narrative he heavy in that in that feeling. But I feel like these specialization statements do set that they, can they change? They can. Uh, now, if you, so, if you start acting against your drive statements, obviously your drive statement doesn't apply. Okay. Because you really don't feel that strongly about it if you're constantly, you know, going against it essentially. And right. so, it very much, very much like I said, beliefs in in Mouse Guard, you should have a discussion with your storyteller and talk about changing that to a drive statement that more fits how you're playing your character and what your character's current sets of beliefs are. Okay, okay. They do suggest, actually, you should make one of these problematic to follow. And you can absolutely make them contradictory. People hold contradictory views all the time. That's true, that's true. And it makes them complex... And, human. and unique, human, flawed characters. No, I like that. I like that a lot. I think I, – I almost feel like this could be extracted and put anywhere else. Yeah, yeah. I, I, th I think it's a really good system for just kind of driving – like guiding the, the, the motivations and, and further role play of introductory of your character. Yeah, I mean it, it feels like it's an important aspect to, uh, to include uh, – but I, I could almost see you being able to throw this into a game to give it the same weight, to give roleplay the same weight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, and then the last thing you've got is assets. Now, assets are almost barely mentioned. They're, they're almost a sidebar in the character creation, mm -hmm. but they're probably one of the most important things in the game. Okay. Um, in that they are things your character has. Tangible things. Sometimes. Okay. Is blackmail tangible? <laughs> Depends on who's being blackmailed. But it's an asset. <laughs> that is an asset. Uh, you know, uh, it, it is um, typically things that can be owned or operated. Uh, they, they come in tangible and intangible. Um, 
only one of your starting assets has to be a tangible asset. Okay. Okay. And uh, typically it's things that are like, you know, personal equipment, obviously. Sure. Um, but like a vehicle that, that can that can be piloted by one person, like mm-hmm. an ornithopter or something like that. Sure. Um, a small crew of people that could be commanded by just you. Okay. Like a personal guard like or... a personal guard or, yeah, a crew of mechanics. I don't know. Ladies in waiting. Sure. Sure. Um, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. 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 Um, and then... Last thing you put in is your ambition. Okay. Where do you what do you want for your character? What does your character want? Has okay. to be linked to your highest drive. Okay, so like the justice character, like what are you trying to do? I'm getting justice for my wife. Yeah, sure. You know, sure. who was murdered. Sure, absolutely. Sure. And that's that's maybe maybe that's why you have a strong sense of justice. Okay. You okay. know, okay. I mean, there's a lot to think about there. Right. But it's essentially it's a statement about the character's long term goals. Where do you see yourself in five years? You know. Okay. Okay. Sort of thing. Okay. Uh, which again just kind of helps point your character in a direction. So when you are thinking of what does my character do in this situation, how should my character act? How should my character react? Mm-hmm. All of these guideposts are there for you, very plainly in text on your character sheet. Okay. Okay. Is there advancement in this? There is. Because it, it feels like it doesn't necessarily need to be there because the because of the scale and scope of the story. But at the same time, I feel like kind of like with Mouse Guard, advancement is slow. And I feel like it would it would almost be slow in this. Is it? Uh, it, it's it feels a little slow. Um, I I don't know. This is one of those things where I think I'd I'd have to see how it plays out in the long term. Okay. Um, it's a point by system. Okay. Uh, and generally, you earn advancement points by getting your butt kicked. Um, adversity, okay. failing, making mistakes, suffering consequences. Um, when you're defeated in a conflict. Uh, when you fail a test of difficulty three or higher, or whenever the storyteller spends four or more points of threat in any one action. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, adversity, pain, failure, and, and peril are the ways you earn advancement points. Okay. I mean, that does feel a lot like Mouse Guard. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then, uh, there are point, uh, values essentially to raising your, raising your skills, uh, purchasing additional focuses or talents or assets. Um, one of the cool aspects to the advancement system that I liked was that you can retrain, um, essentially allowing one of your attributes or assets or talents or something like that to fall off to reduce the cost of increasing another. Oh. So you can actually sacrifice one thing to increase another thing at half cost. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, which I think is great. You know, if you find like you 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 purchased a talent and you you find in like five game sessions you haven't used it a single time, or, or it doesn't feel like it applies to you anymore. Yeah, recycle it, recycle it. Use use it as a half off coupon in your next expenditure. I like that. I like that. Uh huh. Okay. All right. So let's let's get down to some math. Yes. Because it feels like the math is light in this, but so different than D twenty. Uh, As we know it. Yeah, yeah. I remember you. <laughs> when we were having our initial talks about the game system, you were like, I don't understand this. And I'm like, stop thinking of the D20s like D20s and D&D. It feels like we're going from from 5th edition back to 2nd edition. Like, we're, we're going to AD&D and Thacko's back. <laughs> right, right, right. And I'm like, stop, stop thinking of them like that. You're not looking at the value on the die to beat the target number. You're looking at them like the D10s in White Wolf games. Right. Did you make this? If they are within a certain thing, they just count as a success. Right. And you're counting the successes, not the numbers. Right. Right. 
Um, all right, so this is the uh, Modifius's 2D20 system. Okay. Um, they use this not only here, also in their Conan system okay. and one or two of their other games. Okay. Um, typically, they, they call it the 2D20 system because your base mechanic is taking two 20-sided dice and trying to roll under the target number. All and right. now, like we defined earlier, your target number for any test is going to be the skill okay. plus the drive that you are using. So your 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 range on that is like eight to sixteen. Eight to sixteen. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And and that's it. Nothing else modifies that. Nothing else modifies that. What will get modified is the number of successes you need. God, that makes it easy. Yeah. I mean that's that's pretty simplistic at that point. Right. You will always know effectively what your your target numbers are for everything until your skills change. Yeah, you do. Hmm. Okay. Not, I even, like that. not even until your skills change. Once your skills change, you know what the new target numbers well, that's are. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, Can you yeah. add two simple numbers? Right. Boom. Yep. I, but, but, uh, and whether or not if it's a specific activity, like I'm going to crit in this threshold. Mm hmm. Hmm. I like that. Yeah. Like you'll that. always, you'll always know okay. that too, because you'll be like, Hey, we're sword fighting. I have a focus in sword fighting. And your storyteller will go, Hey, that applies. Yep. Now suddenly you know that you crit on sevens or eights or whatever your battle is. And, and less. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Nice. Okay. Um, all right, so you roll your your d20s, and we'll get to the number of d20s, but you start with two. Right. Um, and any of those that come up at uh, at or under are a success. Mm -hmm. Ones, or if you have an applicable focus uh, under your skill rating, mm -hmm. are critical and count for two. Okay. Now. Two successes, yeah. Twenties, converse to what we're used to, are not critical failures, but they cause complications. Okay. Okay. It is a failure, but it causes it causes a complication. Right. Right. Now that might be a negative trait getting added. Mm -hmm. Um, traits are traits are a little weird. We'll talk about them in a minute. Okay. Um, or it may add. You may buy off that negative trait by uh awarding the storyteller threat points instead. Okay. Okay. Um. And so it's a it's an interesting dice mechanic because you can still succeed. And come up with a handful of complication. Okay. If you roll 4d20 and you come up 1, 1, 20, 20. Okay. Uh, I mean, I, that's like either two negative traits or like four threat points you just generated. Oh, and also four successes. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. I'm trying to get away from somebody. Uh-oh. Yeah. The, there are there are five of them following me at close range. Yeah. All right, I'm going to take the threat and succeed. All right. Uh, carts get tumbled over behind you. Oh, we'll get to threat. Yeah, you know, and, we'll and things like threat. that. But now, you know, y you can see you're you're gaining away from them, but it's mm -hmm. clear that there was someone who assisted you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, okay, so uh, difficulties is the number of successes you need. Mm -hmm. Um, now sometimes the difficulty is zero. Okay, this is like an observation. Yeah, I'm just I'm just gonna look out and see what I see. You can't fail that check. Okay. You might get no successes, but there's never going to be a negative consequence for not rolling successes. Okay. You so if I have zero, if I, if I roll, and as long as I don't get a twenty, yeah, I, I it's it's just a normal thing. Yes. Okay. Exactly. Okay. So um, so you can have zero successes needed to pass a check. Um, you'll okay. still get something out of it. Sure. Okay. Um, all the way up to five, which is like you know, if you're only rolling two d twenty, that's pretty daunting. Considering yeah. that even if you roll double ones, you're only maximum getting four successes off of that. So how do you do a difficulty five? All right, this is where 
modifiers kind of come into this. And this is where a lot of like the game mechanics get, I would say complicated, but I would say more tug of war-ish. Okay. Okay. This is where your traits are going to come in. Okay. Momentum is going to come in. Ooh, okay. Determination. Right, okay. And threat. Yeah, we keep bringing up threat. We're going to have to come around All right, so momentum is... All right, so say you only need one success on a roll. Sure. You roll three. What you have is one success and two momentum. Momentum is what they, how they refer to as excess successes. Okay. Beyond your threshold. Okay. Okay. And this is great for like these, you know, difficulty zero tests. You, you Even gain a single momentum. success is a momentum. So do those sit like in a pool somewhere? They do. Is it for you or the group? It's the group. So it's momentum for the story. There's six points of momentum that can sit in the middle of the table. You don't need anybody's authorization to use it. You just reach in and grab it when you need it. Okay. You can buy extra D20s to roll. Okay. The first one costs one. Mm-hmm. The second one costs an additional two for a total of three. And the third one costs the other three. Like I said, it's a maximum six points of momentum. Mm-hmm. So you have to buy the entire pool to get an extra three D20. Okay, okay. But that'll put you up to five. Right. So okay. you could make a, a something epic happen. Sure. sure. Okay, now that's one thing you can do. And, okay. and the great thing is by, by getting extra D20s, you can potentially generate extra successes. Yeah. Which goes into the momentum pool. It, okay. Okay. Right. Okay. okay. That's, so there's but, a constant, there, but there's still a, a max that the pool can sit at. Correct. So, but there's a but there's a constant give and take of it. So you're encouraged through the mechanics to constantly take and constantly put back in. Okay. 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 Um, now, then there are traits. Traits um, are basically just like tags. If you've played Fate, they're aspects. Okay, but okay. In, like in Savage Worlds, they would be your conditions. Uh... Kind of. I don't know. The Savage Worlds has an analog. They might be like your hindrances. Oh, okay. But okay. they're not. But these aren't always negative. Okay. Um. So they might be something like an edge that doesn't give you any benefit. It's just an attribute that you okay. have, like honorable. Okay. Okay. Honorable is a trait you might have. Mm-hmm. People know you to be honorable. You are a person who operates with honor. In so if I'm having a conversation with somebody, I can use my honorable trait to lower the difficulty of your social interactions because they know you're they know you're they know you're a guy they can deal with. Okay, okay. So that reduces the number of successes I need. Correct. No. Okay. That might act against you. Though. Oh. Like if you're in a smuggler's den mm-hmm. and you're honorable. You're not really their kind of people. Gotcha. Okay. You're kind of a rube to them. Okay. So, yeah, that might actually increase the difficulty. Okay. Okay. So, traits aren't really positive or negative, but they can be, I mean, they can be used in that way. Uh, Traits aren't just on people. Traits can be on things. Oh, okay. Traits can be on scenes. Oh. So, like... The, the, in a conflict, the, tra- the, 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 the zone might have the trait smoky times two. Okay. Uh, so yeah, if you're going to be trying to, you know, leverage any ranged, you know, weapon assets or, or perception, anything like that, or or perception or anything like that. Yeah, sorry. Uh, that's all your difficulty levels are too higher because of all the smoke. So Unless a normal perception got... roll goes to a two. Oh, but I have an asset. Oh. Which is thermoptic, you know, vision. Oh, okay. Well, that, Counts as a trait that will lower the, that will offset one of those smokies. What else you got? Yeah. Oh, I'm also uh, observant. 
Oh, okay, cool. You've offset the second Smokey. Make your roll at base difficulty. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. Right? That makes sense. That makes sense. So your traits are going to plus or minus the modifiers. Um, the storyteller can, like, spend threat to increase the difficulty of things. Okay. Um, so that's another place where threat comes in. Um, and we'll get to determination in a second here. Threat is basically the storyteller's momentum pool. Ah, okay. So your momentum is there to make things easier on your side of the table. Gotcha. Threat is there for the storyteller to make thing make your life miserable on their side of the table. Okay. And it's spent in almost exactly the same way. Okay. To generate traits that would be disadvantageous to you, to raise the difficulty of things, to right. et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But you to, can also e- to buy extra dice for their own NPCs. Right, which is the same thing that they can also do. You can buy with threat. Like, a PC can buy threat it to reduce, to, to, to get dice, correct? Uh, it's not that they buy threat, it's that they... They buy dice that generates threat. Uh, if they are going to... Yeah, there's I, there's there's Is a lot like, of interactions for it, and I, I I've I've only just learned the system. So, yeah, I just um, remember reading that like, oh god, this isn't going to succeed, uh, we're, and we don't have enough momentum. I'll I'll buy some dice through threat. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's it's like I'll I'll just hand I'll just hand you two threat just so I can get an extra little Benny out of it. It's always it's always a give and take. Yeah, you're always putting more power into the storyteller's hands to 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 increase your threats. Uh, to make any of your own, it's the, the, there's there's always power on both sides of the table. Right, right. You know, it's never a zero sum. It's it's a I should say it's always a zero sum game. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I like that. I like that a lot. Uh, and then you go to determination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and determination is uh, kind of where your uh, drive statements come in. Okay. Okay. So if you are acting, I, I hope I'm remembering this correctly. If you're acting in accordance with one of your drive statements. Okay, and remember, you only have drive statements on your most potent drives. Right, right. So your the top three, your hypothetical character's overinflated sense of justice. Right. <laughs> yes. If you are standing over your arch nemesis about to smite him, yeah, you know, and your your justice is just the thing fueling all of your rage and fury here. Um, it, you're acting in, deter- in in concurrence with your drive statement. You are allowed to use determination. Mm-hmm. Determination, you typically only start with one point. It's mm-hmm. a very rare, very valuable resource. Mm-hmm. But when you do it, like, you can re-roll any number of your D20s mm-hmm. uh, but, uh, after after you've rolled them. Um, or just auto-succeed on, like, pay, take one of your dice, set it aside before you roll, and just put it on one. You succeed. You, you crit succeed. So you're going to get two successes. On one up. die, and then you roll the rest. Okay, so you'll, you will automatically get two successes. Yeah, it's that it's there for that pivotal moment of this is the thing my character really, really wants, and so he does it. You see that all the time in stories and movies where, like, it's it's the you know Anigo Montoya mm-hmm. you know moment where he drives his determination drives him through the pain yes. and through everything. Yes. It's the it's the uh, the moments of of. Uh, Almost every hero who comes to grips with the the point of execution, whatever mm-hmm. their plan is. Duke Leto mm-hmm. surviving just long enough to get in the same room with Baron Harkonnen yep. to look him in the eye 
and bite down on that poison pellet. And try and kill him. Yep. 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 Nukes everyone in the room. Except. Almost kills Baron Harkonnen. Yep. Yep. Almost kills him. Spoiler. Spoiler. It's again. Sorry. No. How old's the book? Please. I don't. IDK. 65. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. It's. Almost 50 years. Yeah. It's that. It's that. Wait. No. Over 50 years. Yeah. Almost 70 years. Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it's. But it's that. It's that moment of true determination, which yeah. is the perfect word yeah. for it. So, all right, so we're running super late. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about the last aspect of this game system. I think that is just choice. Okay, sure. And this is this is where the game turns into chess. Yes. Okay. I agree. So typically, in this part of any other role playing book, you would have the chapter on combat, right? Mm-hmm. Here's how you roll for initiative. Here's how your hit points are figured out. Here's how you roll to hit, and here's how you damage, and here's how you move, and how many actions, and blah blah blah. We don't have that here. Mm-hmm. We have conflict. Okay. Conflict is the generic term for any time, uh, any time stuff is going down. Okay, whether it's a duel or... There are five types. Okay. Duels. Okay. So that means you and I are going at it. Right. In okay. some kind of way. You have skirmishes, okay. which is probably closest to what we know as combat in most other systems. Okay. Okay? Your person... Small group, yeah. ...is going to be moving around a small and identifiable contained area, engaging in one-to-one combat with other people as as a small group versus or, a small group. Or chased or whatever. Right. Um, warfare. Large scale. Large scale. Sure. Um, espionage. Okay. War in the shadows of information. Sure. Okay. okay? Uh, and intrigue, which is what we typically call social combat. Okay. We're all at a party together and we're making social connections. Okay, which that is, is an combat. intrigue. Yeah, that is definitely that is an intrigue conflict. That makes sense. Okay. Um, now, they all have slightly different rules for how they function. All right, fair. But more or less, there are there there there's a a core functionality to all of them. Sure. Okay. So, first off, there's never any minis or grid or terrain or any of those sort of trappings. Sure. Okay. okay. Um, there's really no direct combat. There's no hit points. Everything is kind of cinematic and abstract. Okay. Um, you can kill other people, mm-hmm. typically, but it's like, you've kind of got that distinction between, like, extras and wild cards. Mm-hmm. Um, where, like, if you if you successfully thwart somebody in a conflict that is determined to be lethal, you kill them. Or you can disable and or, you know, possibly kill a greater opponent that mm-hmm. is like a, a wild card, essentially a, a sure. main character. Sure. Um, but that's not really like, unless it's a, a, a lethal kind. Like you're not going to kill somebody at a social event, right? You know, um, defeating them there will maybe get them like ridiculed, la- ridiculed, or... laughed out of the room, or at least shunned, or you know, or they'll give something up. Yeah, or sure. they'll give something up. Yeah, something it, it, horrific. They, pe- people may have, people's opinions of them may remain completely, you know, but but in a moment of heated, you know, you 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 tilt them just enough mm-hmm. that they're angry that they let a secret slip that now everyone knows. Yeah, or maybe, maybe just maybe you. even only you. Mm-hmm. But but that's that's your point of victory in that conflict, right? You know. Um. All right. So conflict areas are made of zones instead. Okay. Uh, this is familiar to anybody who plays Fate. 
Um, okay. There's there's a lot of a lot of fate shining through in this in this game system. Um, zones are abstract areas of influence. Okay. Now in duels, one v one, your zones are literally your left, right, and center. Oh, all right. Uh, it's my right hand, my left hand, and my center. Okay. Okay. I will assign where my what zones my assets are in. My sword is in my right hand. Okay. I'm going to try to move my sword past your right and left zone and put it into your center zone. Mm -hmm. That's how that conflict plays out. Okay. That's pretty straightforward. Okay. Um, whereas in larger things like warfare, mm -hmm. your zones might be things like the main gate, the courtyard, the fortress, the landing pads. Okay. Okay. Um, and you're going to be moving not people, but assets like ships, infantry units, Mm-hmm. Um, bombardment. Bombardment, yeah. yeah. Uh, things like that. Those are going to be your assets that you are moving around. And this is where I said assets are probably the most important thing in the game. Yeah. Because when it comes to conflict, they are the pawns it, that you move around these abstract zones to accomplish the things that you're trying to do. Your conflict in, uh, like, espionage. Remember how I said that blackmail is an asset? Mm-hmm. How do you want to leverage that blackmail? Ooh. Whose ooh. hands do you want to get that into? What zone will it do the most damage in? Okay. 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 I'm with and, you. And to whom? Yeah. Um, so, uh, it's, it's very interesting, um, and kind of becomes a elaborate game of chess where the board is very asymmetrical. Mm hmm. Assets become your pawns. Um, and it's quite possible to execute an entire operation without ever physically being present for it. Okay. Okay. Because all of your assets are doing your jobs for you. All right. All right. I mean, that definitely makes for the the traditional D&D &D or fantasy noble character who has resources once they get up to a certain point. Exactly. Being able to actively use them. Operating some... through cat's paws. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, that, that, that's an aspect that is lost in so many systems that involve those aspects mm -hmm. that, that are, are key components to them. Yeah. You know, I'm sorry, if, if I have noble, the only thing that it means in most systems is I have access to money. Yeah. And it is, at a certain point, everyone has access to money. So how does, how do I get better at that? And the answer is you don't. Like, it doesn't do anything for you. Yeah, exactly. But it, but in this, like, okay, so, uh, we've got maybe a chase scene going on, okay? Mm -hmm. And, uh, we've got one of our characters who's a socialite of some, of some, some measure, sure. of some potency. Um, and, uh, I want to generate an asset on the fly by using my social skill to inspire some of the, the people nearby to defend us. Help, we're being chased! We're nothing but a, a couple of harmless travelers! Stop them! And so I make that roll. Yeah. I get high enough on the on the roll. I generate an asset. Yeah. That is now in that zone that is going to go in direct conflict with the people who are chasing us, so that we can make an extra move. There was a scene in Game of Thrones. Yeah. That does the same thing where yeah. the uh, 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 Ned Stark's wife mm -hmm. is in hiding and gets uh, noticed by someone. Yeah. And then somebody else is like, you're supposed to be under arrest, kind of a thing. Uh -huh. Like, you shouldn't be here. And she goes around the room and talks to individuals like, you stood, you know, 
my, my husband stood by your family during this great this great conflict and you know your your son your, your father was a great and noble warrior and I was there when he was buried and, and stood at your side your, mm-hmm. I knew your sister from the moment she was born and made sure that she made the right house and everyone like stands up and like so take these ruffians away from me but and out of my sight and they all just draw swords yep <laughs> like I'm using my assets <laughs> yep exactly exactly you know, so uh, yeah, that's exactly the type of gameplay you're going to get out of this. I, I I love that fact that a a communicating person who has assets can do that. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful, you know. Yeah. At the same time, they physically don't even have to be there. They don't. Like communications are a thing. Like if in the scene, like we we're talking that there are, there are modes of scenes, you know, if they're physically not there, they can still make a difference within the scene by architecting something to happen. Mm-hmm. Like. Oh, like we're trying to make this. We're trying to get away from these guys. Um, uh, you know what? I'm going to. I have ownership over a building near there. I'm going to have them go through that building, and I will allow my security to take care of and detain anybody who's following them. Yeah, like yeah. they can't hold them, but they're going to ask them more questions. Uh huh. You know, it's like okay, all right. So I you're going to spend a resource. Yep, yeah. and it's going to slow them up. And I'm like, okay, well, there you go. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, so that's, I mean, that's, that's basically how you play Dune. Uh, I mean, I love right that. There. I love um, that. I, I know we're over. I can't not talk about DMing. Okay. And how much they put it. I have to put this in. I know it, it's, it, we, we are over. I don't care. We have our own show. Fuck it. Um, <laughs> the section on DMing that came in after mechanics made me so happy. Because it is not just about running this game. It, they do. They do a great job of it. They talk about collaboration and that this is a storytelling team inclusive of the storyteller. Mm-hmm. That you're all there to tell a story. And it reinforces this multiple times within it uh, to make sure that, you know, you're, this isn't you against them. Threat, all that kind of stuff in play, it's still about moving the story forward. It's not about killing the PCs because when they're dead, the story for them is done. Mm-hmm. And that's doesn't give anybody any enjoyment whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean you can't make complications to make it challenging and interesting. Yes. And push that yes. narrative. Um, but they make direct points. Like for people who know Dune and know that the Kwisatz Haderach is, is, is a thing that, that is the, the pinnacle of person who changes the universe, right? Not everyone is going to be that in the story. In mm-hmm. fact, some of the greatest stories you can tell in Dune have nothing to do with having it reaching that level of the story in oh, yeah. fact the, the 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 whole pyramid of how society is built is understanding that everyone is standing on someone else's back and that means that person is important to them yep and so your lord uh, who sits above you in your house knows your position is important to them and will ask things of you and defend you and push you and, you know, throw you into conflicts, but at the same time to make your house stronger. That's the truth of it. It doesn't mean you can't do a Kwisatz Haderach story where you're, you're maybe one of the, you know, generations before Paul Atreides who eventually leads to, to Paul being created, mm-hmm. you know, and that, messiah like character or you know messianic character being formed uh but it it doesn't have to be mm-hmm. um one of the other things it says don't demand improvisation and 
in a game where role playing and socializing and and scheming and things, it feels natural that you're going to be looking for players who are theatrical, who understand that, who have that behind the minds. But it's not necessary. Mm-hmm. The mechanics allow for me to just say, I have assets that uh, have blackmail, so I'm going to go into the social situation. And, uh, well, you understand it's going to be difficult. Nobody introduced you to this person. Right, 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 right. Well, I, I still need to talk to him. So I'm going to use my, I'm going to use some momentum and then I'm also going to use <laughs> and my, I'm, and then I'm going to walk into that party and I'm going to flex on him. I'm going to just okay. 100% drop a blackmail and use that against him as well. Okay. That, that'll probably generate some threat in the future. Well, whatever, but I need this done. Yep. I need him on my side. Yep. Okay. You got it. And I didn't have to talk about that. I didn't have to explain what it was or anything. I'm just literally playing the game. Mm-hmm. Whereas the person next to me might be like, okay, while they're doing that, I am going to distract the group with this long soliloquy and, and, and tell the whole story. Sure. Great. Let them be that person. Encourage that role playing. Talk sure. to them about their drive and their determination. Mm-hmm. Like, give them... The, the tools are there in front of their character sheet to help them into role play. Yes. There's no reason why you can't do it. Yes. And one of the other things that it did greatly was it said everyone panics, including the game master. Oh, yeah. Take five. Oh, yeah. Like, where in a book have we seen that? We talk about it all the time. That uh-huh. Sometimes you just need to take five. I've done it. You've done it. Yep. You know, we've had those moments. Yep. You know. But they then go on and have an excellent outlining and scoping and scaffolding for both short and long arcs. The things that we talk about in our 101s is in black and white in this book in such a really nice way. Yes. Yes. Now, granted, you you would think that this is, you know, it's strictly for the universe. They mm-hmm. do pen it to the universe. But you can read this right out of this book into any game system. Yeah. And that's what yeah. I like. This DMing section is not devoted to Dune or devoted to space opera or devoted to... It is a DMing section. Like, buy the book for this. Mm-hmm. If you buy it for nothing else, buy it for this. Yeah. The art yeah, is yeah. beautiful, but don't get me wrong. In there is also accommodating your players, which includes consent and comfort and handling the controversial nature that Dune does include violence and slavery and oppression and eugenics and genocide and torture and unwilling seduction, Mm -hmm. right? These might be problematic for players. Sure. Have your lines and veils. They talk about about X cards. They actually use a safe word in here. Yeah. (laughs) Which strangely is comfortable for me in this setting. I'll say it again. I I know, I I know I said this when, uh, when we talked about Zhang Shi, uh, blood in the banquet hall, but like, I, I, I'll say it again. I'm really happy to see that these sort of, uh, storytelling tools of like your lines and your veils and your X card are becoming ubiquitous in modern games. Yeah, to see suggested to the to the storyteller. No, as, I love it as necessary tools for running the game. Yeah, and and I, as much as that uh, that they're starting to be out there, I think everyone needs to incorporate them in some way. Mm-hmm. I'm glad that they're there. There are definitely larger resources that can help you, but it is so wonderful. Yeah, that it is well defined in these, mm-hmm. and it's part of it. It's not stuffed away somewhere. It is directly before you even get into how to properly use drive and threat and momentum. Right, right, right. Like, before the mechanics, it's telling you how to be a good DM. Yeah, yeah. And that just gives me a warm glowy every time I read stuff like that. Yeah, absolutely. But they they do talk about, like, players who basically use the same drive over and over again in every single scene. You can just start applying threat because now people know they're predictable. Yep. Like, I, I love that. It, it's, it's a simple thing that you don't necessarily think about, but you're like, you're a one-trick pony, right? Oh, yeah. And 
I, I was like, the, the moment that I thought about this, the first thing I thought of was, if your fighter is always fighting the same bad guy who he never defeats and always uses the same skill set, maybe he doesn't, maybe, maybe the enemy gets advantage on him. Uh-huh. Like, oh, you use that trick? I will have advantage in my next attack. It actually reminds me, we've been playing uh, Elden Ring, uh, and it reminds me of uh, of a setup parry. Yeah. Of you, you hold up your shield, and you let the person swing away by pressing R1, mm-hmm. just to see how dedicated to, you know, and get, and get the cadence of their swings, mm-hmm. and then you mash parry, mm-hmm. and you one-shot them. Yeah. Because you know it's like, clang, clang, and you've got the momentum now, you, you, you've got the, you've got the, the tenor for it. Mm-hmm. And you know your 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 parry goes right there. Yeah, and yep. that's that's the thing is is that you, uh, I see this as something you could effectively apply in any system, is that, yeah, you're a one trick pony, and we all know it. Yep, you know, you might be really good at it, but when you're not, you're not. Mm-hmm. Um, they talk about architect versus agent play, which is where you're either part of the scene as an agent, mm-hmm. or you're an architect where you're using your resources and influence upon it. Yes. Uh, and how that can be disjointed and even out of sync where, like, maybe the group, the agents of the group are meeting with someone directly mm-hmm. and they're trying to influence them. But the architect who's involved in that scene says, wait a second, uh, we're going to uh, – I'm going to affect this scene by changing the other people who could come into it and slowing them down so that they, they show they show up as disrespectfully late. Yeah. I'm okay, gonna, well, how are you doing that? I'm going to set up some of my assets uh, and basically bribe some people to set up an unnecessarily, uh, unnecessarily thorough security checkpoint they need to go through. Perfect. So you, you dump some assets into that. Maybe even as a DM I might say, okay – is there anybody who's going to be an agent on that scene? And one of the players who aren't in the scene are like, yeah, I'm I'm the espionage person. I'm actually going to be an agent in that scene. I'm going to be doing the thorough check yeah, and you're going looking to for some extra role stuff. Role play as the asset that this other player has. And and time doesn't necessarily mean anything within this. Like sure. It could have happened a half an hour before or at the same time even. It's, it's just a meanwhile dot right. dot dot. So you literally yeah. play out that other scene briefly to see how much it affects the scene that you were just about to do. Yes. And I love that disjointedness. And if you've got the group that can play with their minds enough to be able to say that, I think it works great. I think it's, it's beautiful. Like, it's absolutely beautiful. You know, have, it's, it's the leverage moment where it's just like, oh, yeah, we already took care of that. Scene cuts to the guy trimming away at the, like, at, at the cables so that they're just ready to break, mm-hmm. you know, and that's why, you know, I now have access that says basically that's going to snap in, like, an instance. Sure. You know, sure. and the dominoes all fall the way I want them to fall because I prepped for it properly. A little, like, dramatic editing in adventure, yeah. Very much to, so. You know, spend a, spend a Benny or spend some, uh, some, some influence or yeah. whatever to say... What if this had happened before? Right. And know? now you could play out that yeah, before sure. if you wanted to see how well it came out. Sure. And maybe even buy some momentum. Mm-hmm. Um, lastly, the, the the game has hyper-perception. Everybody – Mentats, Bene Gesserit, people who can see the future. Literally. Yeah. And, and the whole point is is that some things do mask that without a doubt. There are ways that you can mask some of that and they talk about it in the game. Like the, the guild navigators have a way of basically shadow – creating shadow and mystery by – moving things around the universe in weird ways mm-hmm. like they may move a whole bunch of troops that were intended for one location to another one you know just briefly maybe for a day and then move them to another location that movement creates a whole bunch of paradoxical changes so it can cloud who's really where they're supposed to be mm-hmm. and that changes that but at the same time that unpredictability uh hides the true motivations of everything and makes sometimes can 
can invite the players into a mistake. For instance, uh, you, you, you can present effectively a red herring with an, a very obvious event. They find, you know, uh, someone keeps sabotaging the shields. Mm. And you're like, okay, we're going to find the saboteur. Okay. You go do an examination and you find a Harkonnen saboteur. Uh, he's been, you know, he's buried in one of the walls, uh, left for dead, but his whole job was literally to run through the walls and break certain things at certain times and set charges and stuff. Okay. Uh, well, we found him. Yep, you did. What did that really mean? Well, now they know that there were saboteurs that were set up within the walls. Why was it so easy to find? Oh, now they know how we find them. Uh -huh. Oh no, what were they actually hiding? If they, if we were running around watching for this, what was really going on? Oh, there's an assassin. Yep. They're paying attention to your security movements and now you're chasing ghosts. Some dude in the Point, wall. Pointless ghosts. Rats in the wall, yeah. That's right. Like, who's gonna take, the, you know, they keep taking on the shield. Why? Cause you think there's gonna be a super attack? Well, we wouldn't we see that coming? Yeah, yeah. we're finding these guys every single time, and the shield keeps coming back up. This isn't how they're going to take down the shield. Yep. Uh-oh. Yep. You know, that's yep. the thing, is is that everything is a game within a game. It's chess. Mm -hmm. You know, I move my pawn here, you take it. I move this other thing here, you take it. Wait a second. Now I've just opened up a giant hole. Thank you so much. I'll be now moving this entire force in this area. Yep. Uh-oh. Uh, yep. I, I can't move in that space. No, you can't. I mean, you can, but 18 of my assets right. are there. Now, now, now you have to make risks yep. to, to be able to handle the situation. So that's, and that's the core. That's uh -huh. really where the game sits at is as a storyteller, understanding that every move you're making is creating another opening mm -hmm. somewhere along the lines. So. All right. So let's wrap this up. Uh, what, uh, <sighs> what, what's your, what's your favorite things here about Dune? What does, what does Dune do, uh, do well for you? What, what spots does that hit for you? Um, I'm definitely going to say the DMing section was a huge, a huge draw for me. I felt mm -hmm. that that was beautiful. I've said that before. I'll say it again. Buy the book for the DMing section. Um, or borrow it from somebody and take a good look at it. Go to your local game store, see if they have an open copy that you can flip through and go to the DMing section and look at it. Yeah. It's worth it. Yeah. Uh, I love that the, the role playing is part of the character. I've always loved mechanics that do that, that help people who don't normally or who aren't normally good at role playing mm -hmm. kind of give them something on the sheet that they can physically focus on besides their name and their class to figure yeah. out who they are. Uh, for, for me, my, my big plus was that this, it feels like Dune. Mm -hmm. Like to me, I'm not, I'm not a huge Dune fan. I've never read the books. Mm -mm. I don't think I've seen the, the original movie all the way through. I only really saw the most recent one. Um, yeah. and, but, but, uh, Sean is huge, uh, a huge Dune fan. Yeah, so, yeah. And I know you're a huge Dune fan. So yeah. just existing around you too, I know <laughs> enough about Dune yeah. to know what Dune should feel like. And right. this whole, like, create your house, the bigger the house, the bigger the threat, mm -hmm. the, you know, um, uh, wheels within wheels, moving around assets, working through cat's paws, uh, and just being a dramatis persona who can just move and wheel and deal through all of that. And that's how the game is played. Mm -hmm. That to me feels like I understand Dune to be. And I think they did an excellent job translating that into a rule system that is, uh, succinct and very playable. Yeah. 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 <laughs> like a wine. It's drinkable. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, look, there's there there's there's ways you can overcomplicate these rules in a lot of different ways, and I don't think Modifius did this. No, I, I, I think they did a very good job of making a very playable, very understandable, player friendly rule system to encapsulate a very complex world and machinations. No, I agree. I agree. Looking at all the systems that we've looked at um, and and moved through, I really, really like the social system. Mm-hmm. I like the way they handled conflict versus combat. You know, and 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 encapsulated the motivations and movements that come through that in a way that really makes a lot of sense. Um, I agree. I agree. It, mm-hmm. it it was nice. I guess my question to you is, uh, from your perspective, what don't you think this this RPG does? Uh, one place I found myself um, struggling uh, was in understanding like all the different applications of threat. Okay. I feel like there are too many applications for how like threat can be earned, threat can be used. Uh, it it, uh, it almost seemed adversarial because it's like the the storyteller could use it at any time just to like jack your difficulties up to five all the time, you know? Right, but I mean at the same time the DMing section does say it's not adversarial; it's meant to add conflicts. But the whole thing is is that the characters are kind of godlike in a way yeah yeah I, again, I, I would have to see how it played out but yeah. just just from reading it um I, I i found that i felt like the threat system was a little overwhelming okay but again it probably plays out just fine yeah um but just from reading it yeah i, I got that impression i i would definitely would would say the same thing i think for me the confusing point like i said like without getting into the mechanics heavy Hearing the word D20 and then starting to see minuses and difficulties and understanding that, like, difficulty didn't change the target number, but it did change the number of successes. And to me, like, the number of successes can go up to five, but, like, at any time I can – the storyteller can increase the difficulty, like – Holy crap, the odds of you making successes now become much more challenging. Like, is this, like – like what what's the actual mathematics behind this that make any sense and it's it's a narrative system against a number system mm-hmm. and that's the thing that you you kind of have to take away from it is is that it's there is still a sense of random chance but that random chance in this particular game is really stacked against the social system of determination mm-hmm. and motivation it's it's very it's odd to say that you're creating randomness, mm-hmm. like true randomness. It's this is not playing cards. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh and you're not counting numbers. There's there's no good way to say I will always win. Yep. You know. Yep. Uh and 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 or 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 rule stack this in a way. You can definitely rule stack your character in a direction like you can in Swade, but mathematically this game has a challenging uh, curve to it in understanding that because that if any time your 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 challenge ratings can just change because there's a lot of threat on the other side of the table the stakes get higher you know that that's when people start going like wait a second what do you mean like that i i didn't know that was something that could happen right mm-hmm. i think that's where things get difficult because you don't know where the where the threat's coming from. 
because it's narrative. Yeah, yeah. You know, I think that's part. I think the other piece that gets me is is that history is important mm-hmm. to this game, and it does feel a little daunting. Like trying, like me trying to get you into Dune before we even had the book. Yeah, yeah. Was daunting because you're like, oh, God, you're God, like, God, let God. me let me tell it, let me tell you, let me give you the short. It's oh, you know what it reminded me of? Kingdom Hearts. Oh God, yeah. I saw a YouTube video. I, I saw that it existed. Didn't watch it. Right. Okay. A YouTube video. It was like uh, a succinct and understandable breakdown of Kingdom Hearts, How and it was, was it? a three and a half hour YouTube video. Oh, my God. And I'm like. What, that's, that's the Reader's Digest version of it, mm-hmm. you know? Like, and to me, Dune feels the same way. It's like, I, I understood the movie, mm-hmm. because I understood the power play behind the movie, and what a shrewd move it was to, like, swap Harkonnen for, uh, for, uh, Atreides, and just watch the two of them go at each other's throats, you know? Right, right. Um. And then back one of those players. But, yeah. like, blah, 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 and then the God Emperor turned into a sandworm, yeah, there's there's some weird stuff in Dune, and when yeah. you start getting into the extended history of the actual canon story, it's it gets a little out there. It does. So. It, de- it definitely has some crazy psychotropic, psychedelic moments that get thrown into it. <laughs> um, it, it, but I will say this game system stops just before that. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. it literally puts a hard date with like, and Paul Atreides is born. That is where the timeline ends as far as it's concerned. Mm-hmm. And that's good. That's really good because there's a lot of good history that leads yeah. up to that point. Yeah. Um, and, a, and a pretty cool universe to play around in that you can play in any part of that time period. Mm-hmm. From the literally the birth of the Imperium before the Landstrat even existed and before AI even became a huge problem. All the way through those wars, the jihad, the first jihads that destroyed the AI – all the way through all of that other history, you you could play through all of that at different points, mm-hmm. and or even pick and choose points, hand people characters, and let them be people in those moments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I'll say I'll say the system as, as my final note for this discussion. Uh, the system has one uh, detractor to it for me that that's key. I think which is um, I I we talked a lot about how um, it's like an elaborate game of chess. Mm-hmm. I suck at chess. I really do. I can't think four moves ahead of my opponent, let alone the 20 some that chess masters do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can barely know what my next move is going to be. I'm a very reactionary person. And so uh, that's where I think this game, because it's played as a group, changes that. I Probably. Probably. Like but if you had four people against one playing chess. The, the only thing I could think... Uh, well, while reading through the conflict section is, this is so super cool and I would suck at it. <laughs> like, I am glad these rules exist in the way that they do and this is amazing. I would love to see other people play this because, man, would I get my butt kicked in this. Yeah, yeah. But it... I, I'm very much like the, I need one one character with their motivations to to just do their thing you know mm-hmm. uh i would have a tough time wrapping my head around it uh, if i'm if i'm if i'm being perfectly honest no but... and, and again it's not for everybody yeah, yeah i yeah, mean yeah. just as much as like i hate horror like uh-huh. don't, don't don't put me in arkham horror with like you know jelly fingered monsters that can twist my brain and and sure. give me terrifying moments in the middle and i i, I don't want to play against aliens that pop out of the wall and suck my face and 
you know, put aliens in my friends that burst out of their chest. I, the, 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 you know, no, no, I don't need that. Yeah. You know, that's, that's not my sense of fun. That's not going to be enjoyable for me in any but way. But you're still happy that Alien RPG exists. You know exists. what? I think it's great. I yes. think stress is a great mechanic and, you know. And you will be over here cheering us on from the Correct. Sidelines. I would love to see how that goes. Yep. <laughs> Uh, we did have some questions, but I feel like we answered them in the course of the discussion. Let's, let's check them, though. So, Nevum asked two questions. Uh, how does the system make you feel like you're playing in the Dune universe? Um, and I think, I think, I, I think we answered that a lot with, like, the importance of your house, mm-hmm. the, the, the size and importance of your house, uh, being proportional to the amount of threat your house draws. Yeah, and just you personally doing things that address threat as well that like just through your own actions you are you are constantly in a state of peril the more heroic you are the more of a target you become essentially and so action always get always yields reaction and advancement only comes from failure and advancement only comes from failure yeah like literally so the more adversity you're put against actually the the, the faster your character is going to learn that's true. Um, so, That's true. Uh, yeah, no, that and, and especially like the conflict rules are very, you know, with, with how there's a, a high focus on moving assets around rather mm-hmm. than rolling up your sleeves and doing things yourself. You can be just as much of a hero by commanding troops from a bridge of a, of, of a, of a space station than you will, you know, uh, being on the, uh, on the ground stabbing people with your sword yourself. Or, Walking with somebody through a courtyard and having a conversation with them yes, can exactly. be just as equally as powerful. Yes, exactly. And affect huge swaths of armies in another area, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, and then uh, what element of the system did you like the most, the least? I think we covered that pretty much. Uh, I really like the conflict rules, um, how mm-hmm. they play out like an elaborate game of chess. And uh, I think the thing that I like the least is the conflict rules, how they play out like an elaborate <laughs> game of chess. <laughs> I will say that I love the determination and drive and how it helps with role play. I think that's one of my favorite parts about the whole mechanic. Yes. Uh, yes. I think the one that gets me the, I think the thing that I don't like the most, but I think is necessary still, uh, is the fact that there is a bajillion ways to basically reduce your, the success, you know, to affect your success rates. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's very interpretive. So you could have arguments at the table about like, well, my honor means this. Well, you're in a room full of thieves. Like nobody, like your honor is going to be a problem because they realize you're honorable to them. Yes, but I could be honorable to their, to our deal. Mm-hmm. And they're going to realize that. No, you're going to be honorable to your Lord because you're, you're faithful to your word. That's mm-hmm. what your, your determination says. And it's your top trait. Yes, yes, but I'm faithful to my word. So if I agree to anything, they're going to know that. So you could see how that could be a quick argument at the table. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And because it's all just interpretive. Yeah. In a lot of this, in a lot of the same ways that like fate plays out like that, where like it's like, it's, it's not what your aspect does. It's what you can convince the storyteller your aspect does or convince the table. Yeah, exactly. And, and so I think that's where some disservice comes into it. And I, you could run at risk, but I think that also comes down with balancing the understanding of the story yep. and and your table. So that that's where I would I think I think I love the role playing, but at the same time, sometimes it dips a little hard. Uh huh. And that can when the role playing affects gameplay. Yeah, yeah. That in an interpretive way. Mm, okay. 
So. All right, we have gone an hour and forty minutes. <laughs> an hour and forty minutes of this discussion. Uh, our next week's topic. Thank you so much, by the way, if you yes, have made it yes. this far into the show and stuck with us. We really and appreciate you going with us on, on this exciting journey through uh, through through the Dune universe. Um, our next week's topic is going to be strolling into meta. Uh, this is going to be a discussion about uh, DM and player transparency. How much table talk is okay? Uh, how much should the, the the storyteller discuss with players like from an out of game standpoint how much of that discussion should happen out of game how much of it should happen in the game yeah and and mostly we're gonna just try and stay within that framework but i mean everybody has their questions like are we talking about how the game functions or are we talking about how the players are functioning and thinking about themselves and yes, their characters exactly so you can find us on twitter at sq st uh, let me try this one again at st underscore conclave on instagram st underscore conclave listen to us live every wednesday night 7 p.m eastern time on mixlr.com slash storyteller dash conclave and uh, join us on our Discord. Uh, shoot some questions at us. Join in the discussion. Bounce some ideas off of the other friendly storytellers that are there. You can find that link on our Twitter as well as our website, StorytellerConclave.com. We'd like to thank our Patreon members who help us out every single month, especially our name members, Knox in the Box, Sam, the Arcane Asylum, uh, Sparkle Motion, Veteran, Subjet, and Hulavu. You really, really help us out. Our pre-show music is by Arcane Anthems. You can find that at Patreon.com slash Arcane Anthems. Our intro music is Beyond the Warriors by Geefrog. You can find that at Geefrog.Bandcamp.com or on Google Music. And our outro music, which you're hearing right now, is Only Our Footprints in the Sand by Midair Machine. You can find that at freemusicarchive.org. Big shout-out, as always, to our families, Vicky and Sean. Thank you so much for loving and supporting us. <laughs> Thank you. All of our friends who sat with us at our tables over the years give these great stories to share with you. And you, every single one of our listeners, we love you so much. <laughs> Good night. Good night. <laughs>